everybody. How are we doing this morning? Man, I love the 1040 service. You guys are rowdy. You guys are a little bit crazier than the other services. And I love it. I love it. I, that's why I love 1040, man. I am going to save the best for right now. I tell you that. Well, guys, we are uh, wrapping up the uh, service, I mean, the uh, sermon series on the book of Ephesians. It's been tw about 25 weeks. Can you believe that we've been? Have you enjoyed the, the series on Ephesians? It's been good. It's been good. Um, as you guys uh, might have known, some of you guys came up to me and said, hey, Pastor, how you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling much better. I noticed when you guys asked me how I was feeling, you're like, hey, Pastor, how you feeling? You know, and the, when I said I was feeling better, you're like, oh, Pastor, how's it going? <laughs> I don't blame you. I was, man, just really sick last week. Pastor Sean did a great job feeling it, didn't he? I was supposed to preach last week, and he just tore it up. So it's like I think God would, got me sick so that Sean could actually preach the message that was supposed to be preached. It was awesome. Um, uh, but he kind of threw me under the bus a little bit last week. I, I was uh, in Walmart last week with my wife, and we were picking up some groceries. And out of nowhere, uh, this lady, and if you're in the service, just forgive me, but uh, this lady came up to me. I didn't quite recognize her. There's a lot of people at Clovis Sales and a lot of services. I don't always, sometimes faces and stuff. But this lady came up to me in Walmart and said, just right in the middle of Walmart, Pastor, I heard you were sick. You were throwing up everywhere. Are you okay? And I was like, wait, oh, man. It is true. That was true. And then I heard the message. I, li I listened to Pastor Sean's message on, on our website, and I was like, he told everybody. I was barfing everywhere. That's why everybody knows. But uh, it was good. It, it was great. And I'm feeling much better. And uh, we, we uh, get the chance to, to teach today. So it's going to be a good time. Uh, we are going to read out of the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, your tablet, your notebook, whatever you do, your phone to access the Bible, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And my friend Olivia is going to come out and she is going to read verses 10 through 17 with us. So if you are able, will, out of reverence for God and the Bible, you stand up and join us in reading God's word this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on your full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Olivia. You may be seated. Well, you, you, you can imagine that uh, last week at this time, when you guys were all here singing and worshiping, I, I, was, I was on my knees doing another kind of praying, and it was, it was just bad. But, but when you're that sick, you know, and you guys all been there before, you're just kind of in bed, your mind starts to think of a lot of things, you know. And just, you, you, you start making all kinds of plans and all kinds of things. And, and it just hit me last week, and this is not a revelation to any of you guys, but, but as I was laying there last week, I began to think to myself, 
has our world absolutely lost its mind? I mean, have they just gone overboard? What is happening here? And I'm not talking about, like, all the violence that's happening right now. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, all the violence that's happening here in our country or even, even abroad. I'm not talking about that because that stuff's been happening since, you know, the beginning of time, since Jesus' day, very, very violent time. And I'm not talking about the political unrest. I'm not talking about the three-ring circus that's going on, uh, you know, politically and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about any of that stuff because, you know, even politically it was just a mess even in, during Jesus' time. So that's nothing new. What I'm talking about is Pokemon Go. That's what I'm talking about. Have we lost our mind? Pokemon Go? What? This is what I'm talking about right here. You got a Pikachu. What? You got a What's a Pikachu? I don't get any of this stuff. My son says, Dad, Dad, I'm going to take my bike. I'm going to go chase Pokemon. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me what a Pokemon is, and then maybe I'll let you chase them. And then he tells me, and I'm like, son, we need to have a heart-to-heart. You do realize they're not real. Please tell me you understand that. Yeah, Dad, I know they're not real. Then what are you chasing? Pokemon Go? We have lost our mind. This is the end. This is the beginning of the end of civilization as we know it. I'm telling you right now. Pokemon Go. I, I don't even want to ask how many of you guys are playing Pokemon Go. You know the, what they say? That's right. You, I didn't even ask. You guys are all vulgar right here, man. I'm not going to ask you how many Pokeballs you have and things like that, man. It is a mess, man. We have absolutely lost our mind. But I will tell you this. Back in the day when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, he must have been thinking the same thing. Not about Pokemon Go, but about all kinds of things that were happening in his day. He must have sat there in chains and thought to himself, what is our world doing? Have we lost our mind? All kinds of things are going on. Now, let me just remind you, because it's been about 25 weeks since we've started the book of Ephesians, and so I just want to go back real fast and, and just kind of recap what was happening in the book of Ephesians. So we're in chapter 6 today. We're right at the very end of, of Ephesians, but if you think about it, let's go back to the very beginning. Paul who is in chains, is writing the church in Ephesus, and he's writing to a church that he started just a few years earlier, and so he knows a lot of the people that are happening, and a lot of them are new believers in Christ, and, and, and they're just new to this Christian faith, and they're kind of wondering what's happening, and he begins his letters by reminding them of the great love that God has for them. He reminds them that, that they were different. They, before God, they, they acted different. They were different. They were a different person. And then when they became a Christian, when they became a follower of Christ, their lives changed. And they were changed because of Christ and what he did on the cross and, and how grace is sufficient for what they already. He just reminds them of all that in the first couple chapters. And then he gets into the part about Christian living. And, and he says, because you have been changed because of this guy named Jesus, because you are different now, that, that I'm going to tell you about how to live. And he begins to talk about Christian living and how we should live. He, he, he said things like this. He says, you guys are filled with the Spirit now. You're not alone, that, that, that God is with you. And he says, because God is with you, uh, in your everyday lives, they should look different. And then he goes into this whole idea of how husbands, you should treat your wives, and wives, you should treat your husbands and fathers you should treat your son, kids, and, and kids, you should treat your parents this way, and, and employers, you should treat your employees this way, and employees, you should treat your employees. And he goes into this whole thing about how we should live. And then he gets to this part 
the end of chapter 6. And he says that, that I've talked to you about God's grace. I've talked to you about how much God loves you. I told you to give you instructions for Christian living, but now I want to remind you that because you've taken on the name of Jesus, because you are a follower of his, you need to know something. And I'm going to tell you what you need to know, and that is there's a battle that's going on. There's a battle that we can't even see. The battle's in the, in the heavenlies, not in, not in space. I'm not talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about right everywhere we, where we go, there's a, there's a battle going on and, and that the devil is real, the enemy is real, and, and, and angels are real, and, and, and this battle is happening because you have taken on the name of Jesus. And the battle is real. And he tells the church in Ephesus, listen, two things you need to know. One, that the enemy is absolutely real. There really is a devil and two, that devil's goal is to destroy your faith. The Bible tells us that the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy your Christian faith. That's his goal. And Paul reminds this church in Ephesus, listen, you need to, one, you need to understand that there is a battle. If you deny that there's a battle, if you deny that there is actually an, a, a war going on in the heavenlies, then you've already lost the battle. How many of you know you can't win a battle if you don't even know that there's a battle existing? It's tough. And so he says, I want you to understand there is a battle, but I'm going to tell you about the weapons that you could use to fight this battle, even though it's an unseen battle. I want to give you weapons so you can fight that battle. And then he reminds us what the battle is not. It says in Ephesians, Ephesians what Olivia just read, he says the battle is not against flesh and blood. The battle is not against flesh and blood. And let me just step into that just for a moment because I can't let this moment pass. I want us to be very clear, church, about what that means. The battle is not against other people. The battle is not against your spouse. The battle is not against your boss. The battle is not against your neighbor. The battle is not against your children. Children, the battle is not against your parents. In fact, the battle is not even against another person. It's not flesh and blood. It's the enemy. It's the devil. And remember, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. The enemy wants you to believe that the battle is against each other. The, the Paul makes it very clear that the battle is not against each other. And that's a very important concept to grasp. Because so many times we wake up and we get frustrated and we get angry and we get mad at the people around us, and sometimes rightly so. If we were all just to be super honest this morning, me included, there are people in my life that I get so angry because of what they've done to me or my family. And I am angry at them. And I have to step back and I have to be reminded, and God reminds me constantly, Scott, the battle is not against that person. That person is simply a captive in the war that is going on. That's why Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. Because Jesus knew all too well the battle is real and the battle wasn't against each other. It was against the enemy. I have a brother, and I've talked about this before. My brother is a drug addict. 
He's been addicted to every single kind of drug. He's done every single kind of drug that you can imagine since the time he was 12 years old. He's 54 now, and he's missing all kinds of teeth because of the meth that he has done throughout his life. And with that addiction comes a bondage, and in that bondage, he has hurt several family members, including myself. He has lost his children. He lost his children because of the addiction that he was not willing to give up. But he's a captive in the eyes of the Lord. And I have to remind myself, God, as I grow angry towards my brother, as I am angry because he's hurt my mother and he's hurt my father, he's hurt me, he's hurt my family, I have to remind myself the battle isn't against my brother. The battle is against the enemy who is holding my captive, my brother captive. That's what allowed Jesus to look at a whole nation who didn't like him and be able to cry for them. That's what allowed Jesus to look at Israel and say, oh, Israel, Israel, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks. I'm like, dude, they hate you. He's like, I know. But they're just captives. There's a bigger picture out there. And you need to understand that church and you need to grasp that truth, that that's the war that's going on. That is the same reason why Jesus was able to hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he looked at you and he looked at me and we were captives, lost and struggling and addicted to our sin. And Jesus died on the cross anyway because he knew we were just captives. It's not an excuse. We shouldn't continue to do that stuff, but you know what I'm saying. And that's the battle that's raging. And church, if we can understand that, if we can grasp that, then we can go love our family members. We can love our family members through anything. We can love our community through anything. We can love our world through anything if we just recognize that that's not the battle. How many of us know this morning the battle isn't against Republicans and Democrats? How many of us know this morning that the battle isn't what's happening in Congress or what's happening amongst the billionaires in our country? That's not the battle. The battle is being waged in the heavenly realms. And Jesus came and died for that and was victorious of all that. And he has the church ready to wage war against the enemy. And he's going to give us the weapons to do that. I love what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says. You know, Peter's one of those guys. I love Peter. When I get to heaven, I'm personally going to go to Peter and thank him for being a fool, for being just a doofus, because it makes all of us look good in the kingdom. You know? That, that I'm personally going to do that, because he's like the fall guy, the Christian fall guy. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 18, verse 8, I'm sorry, he talks about the enemy as well. And this is what he says. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil. See, Jesus, Paul, Peter, they all knew he was real. It says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, has a pitchfork and a red suit and has a long tongue and goes, every time you see him. No, it doesn't say that. Of course not. That's Hollywood. It says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around and I can picture Peter writing this. You know, what's the right adjective? Or how do I really want to describe this? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a snake. Looking for, no, 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 not a snake. I could outrun a snake. 
That's been used before anyway. Let me see. Let me see. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, oh, I got it, like a coyote in the middle of the night with screeching howls. No, 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 that doesn't fit either, man. It's just a skinny dog. Nobody's afraid of a coyote. Let me think, let me think, let me think. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. Wait, a roaring lion. Yeah, that's it. Looking for someone to devour, to pounce on. And that's how Peter described it. And he got it right. You see, the enemy is not in that red, you know, suit with the pitchfork. He doesn't get inside of you and you don't crawl on ceilings and all that kind of stuff like Hollywood says. He is like a lion looking for someone to devour. And guess who he wants to devour? He wants to devour you and he wants to devour I. Remember, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy our faith. And so the enemy is real. The battle is real. And Paul is going to give us, in Ephesians chapter 6, the weapons to get through this. So, picture with me as you will. Paul, in chains, in prison, which he's been so many other times, right? I mean, this guy's been in prison so many times. He understands what Roman soldiers look like. He has been chained to them. He sees them every day. He understands. So I could just imagine him writing this church to, to, to the church in Ephesus. Guys, there's a war, and here's your weapons, and he's looking at a Roman soldier, and he says, man, those guys, they know war. They know how to battle. They're fierce. That's what kind of weapons we need in the Christian faith. Let me see. He's looking at the Roman soldier, and he says, you know, I've seen them take off their gear on and off for so many years, and the belt, boy, the belt is the most important part of their uniform. So isn't that true for the Christian faith? So he equates the belt with truth. Because the reality is, church, that truth is the most important thing when it comes to our Christian faith. If we did not have the truth, if we did not understand what truth is and what God's word is, then we would not have a compass to go by. In fact, if we did not have girding everything else, you see, in the Roman uniform, the belt was used for many things. It was used to hold the weapon, but it was actually used also to, to attach. Many other parts of the uniform were attached to the belt. And if the belt was to be gone, then some of the other uniform parts would fall off. Everything hinged on that truth, and it's true for our Christian faith. That is our truth. And so many times we want to take that truth and we want to just pick out the parts that apply to us. We love the parts that talk about God's grace. We love the truth that, that talks about how much God loves for us. We love that part. But sometimes when the truth, the Word of God, it gets a little bit more challenging, sometimes we go, I don't know if that applies to us. The problem with that mentality is we are not accepting the full truth and this word, this truth, is either true or it's not true. We don't have the luxury of picking out the parts we like and discarding the rest. 
As believers in Christ, we either say it is true or it's not. And guess what, guys? If it's not, let's just put on some 80s music and get some taco trucks up here, and let's just have some fun and tell everybody we look good. Because we might as well do that. Because if we're not going to believe that it's true, what are we doing here? This is truth. Look what the Bible says right here, what Jesus said about truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples. Not if you hold the part of my teachings, not if you hold to the part that sounds really good, but if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, if you know that truth, if you have that belt around you that's fastened and ready to go to the belt of truth, you will know it. And that's what's going to set you free. Listen to what John 14, 6 says. Jesus also said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wait a minute. Did Jesus just claim to be the truth? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that either makes him an absolute lunatic or that makes him king of kings and lord of lords. And we have to decide that truth. God has already decided it. He's already claimed to us, this is truth. Take it or leave it. And it's that truth that we hold on to. Now, now I want to challenge you in something right here. In fact, if you're here today, and you do not have a personal relationship with God. Maybe you're here visiting with us today. Maybe you, somebody invited you. You're new to this whole God thing. You don't know about Jesus. And you just don't know if you have that relationship. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to stop listening to the rest of the message. Don't even listen the rest of this time. I want you to stop and I want you to meditate on this truth right here. That Jesus is the truth. And what Jesus did for you on the cross, the redemptive work of the cross, is the thing, the only truth that will allow us to have a relationship with God. And I want you to do that because the rest of the message isn't even going to make sense to you if you don't even understand and have that relationship with God. So I'm serious about this. If that's you, I want you to begin to focus on that. Jesus, reveal to me if you really are the truth. Speak to me now if you are the truth. I want to believe in the truth, whatever it might be. Now, for the rest of you who are believers, you don't get off so easily. You're going to follow me the rest of this time. The second one right here, he looks at the Roman soldier and he says, I see the belt and they have these breastplates that they put on. All oh, these soldiers look good with those breastplates. Nothing can penetrate those breastplates. So, so church... The breastplate is a piece of the armor you need. And he equates that with righteousness. Now what's righteousness? Righteousness is one of those big fancy words that means to be made right with God. Now, why the breastplate of righteousness? Because the breastplate on the Roman soldier was the part that they put right over their chest. And it protected all the important parts of your insides. It protected everything that could be fatal to you. It protected your heart. And what Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to know is this, that every day, part of the armor, part of doing battle in the heavenlies 
is to put on that breastplate of righteousness, to understand the fact that you are not, you were not born right, that you cannot achieve things on your own to be made right, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross can you be made right. And because of that truth, because of that belt, you can stop whatever the enemy is trying to do to your heart. Not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did on the cross. You could be made right, and you could protect that heart. How many of you guys know this morning that the enemy loves to go right for the heart? Right for the heart. If he could convince you that what you believe deep down in that soul, that God is real, that what Jesus did on the cross, if he could convince you of that and penetrate that breastplate, then game over. Game over. And so Paul says, put on that breastplate of righteousness. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Jesus did on the cross made us right. And we have that as assurance and that's what Paul is saying the breastplate of righteousness is about. And then he goes on and he, he equates the soldier's boots, their feet, what they wear on their feet to that of peace. Everybody knows you can't go into battle without something protecting your feet. Very key part of the uniform. And so Paul says, church, I want you to understand, gird your feet, take care of those feet and what Paul is talking about here is, church, I want you to understand that you have a firm foundation in which to stand upon the gospel of peace. Stands on a very firm foundation. And as a church, as a believer, you can rest assured that what you're standing on is that belt of truth, that righteousness cannot be penetrated with that breastplate, and that what you are standing on is right. And you don't have to back down from that. Look what the Bible says, Matthew 16, 18. I love this story. Do you remember this story about Peter? Again, back to Peter. That Jesus is standing with his disciples and a bunch of people are talking and saying stuff about Jesus and who he was. And, he, and Jesus finally just stops and turns to his disciples and say, what do you guys say I am? I'm curious. What do you guys think? Well, who, who do you guys say that I am? Because you guys have been with me a long time. I'm who do you guys say I am? And some of his disciples were like, well, you're, you're Elijah. And some people are saying you're Elijah. And some people are saying you're, you're John the Baptist. And then he looks right at Peter. And I love this part in the scripture. He looks right at Peter. He always looks right at Peter. <laughs> and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? I could picture all the other disciples going, oh, it's, here it comes, man. He's got Peter now. Check it out. Peter's going to say something stupid. Come on. That's what I would have been doing if I was a disciple. I'd have been, oh, yes, this is cool. Peter's going down. I'm so bad. But he looks at Peter, and Peter utters out this statement that's brilliant. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Peter utters out this statement and says, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the one who, you're the one, you're the Messiah. You're the one everybody's been hoping for. You're the one who brings life. You're the one. 
And Jesus is just blown away and says, Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. Peter said something so brilliant that Jesus stepped back and said, you got it right, bingo, right on the nose. That's exactly who I am. And he said, Peter, I know you're not that smart, so I'm sure you didn't come up with it on your own. I'm sure somebody, my Father in heaven told, told you that. So upon that profession, upon that fact that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the one who, who crushed sin, I'm going to build my church. That's my firm foundation. And today his church still stands on that foundation, that Jesus is the Messiah. No matter what is happening around our world, church, we can stand. No matter the chaos that's happening, the half-truths that are happening, the philosophies that are happening, we can stand on that truth and say, hey, as a believer, I'm standing on the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. And he died on the cross for me. He is the Messiah. That's the feet, the boots. And then he goes on. He says, the next piece, as I'm watching that Roman soldier, he says, the shield. Oh, the shield. Every good soldier has a shield, right? Those shields that the Roman soldiers had, they were huge. They covered all the way from just almost to the eyes, all the way down past the knees. They were covering almost the whole body. And those, those shields were a powerful tool to block whatever came their way. You guys ever see the movie, uh, any of those, those movies about the Roman times, you know, Gladiator or Braveheart, you know, Frida, that kind of thing. You guys, those movies. And there's always two, two sides, right? There's the side of, uh, uh, that has all the military power, all the military might. They got the horses, they got the weapons, they got the archers. And, and then you always have the other side that doesn't have anything. You know, and in Hollywood, they always portray these great battle scenes between them, and the people that don't have anything are just marching down, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you marching into death? Just run, fight another day. But I'm a wimp, so that's okay. So these guys are just marching, and then the other side, the other side has all the weapons, and then you hear somebody inevitably yell out, archers, and all the archers get ready. And you know the scene, right? Because it happens all the time. They let their arrows go, and then the sky just becomes black because of all the arrows that are going. And these guys are just marching down. Here comes the arrows. And what do they do at the last second? They lift up their shields, and they block the arrows. And then they put down their shields, and they laugh. <laughs> I don't know why Hollywood always does that. I don't know that that happened, but Hollywood always portrays it that way. I wouldn't be laughing if they were shooting arrows at me. I'd be like, dudes, let's go. Seriously, man. But they do that. And that's what, what Paul is trying to portray here. He says, listen, church, you need to know that you have a shield that's part of your armor because the enemy, the devil, he is going to throw arrows at you. He is going to shoot arrows at you. He is not going to shoot a arrow at you. He is going to shoot multiple arrows at you. And it is not a matter if he's going to shoot arrows at you. It is a matter of when he shoots arrows at you. And how many of you guys know this morning that there are a lot of arrows coming at us as believers? Not just one, multiple arrows. And they come in bunches. And we use our shield to block those. And it's the shield of faith. Paul says, this is like your faith. Because the reality is this, church. 
That as you are holding up that shield and the arrows are being thrown at you at every side from that enemy and you're just like blocking everything around you, just blocking those arrows. Here's the reality. If you don't already know what you believe, if you are not already assured in what you believe, when those arrows are coming, you are going to be tempted to throw down that shield and say, I quit, man. Let's go home. Am I right? Because when those arrows are coming, that's when we begin to doubt. That's when we begin to say, man, God, I am tired. When are these arrows going to stop? And if we don't already have a deep faith that is rooted in the belt of truth with the breastplate of righteousness, standing on a firm foundation, if we don't have that faith that says, I don't know what's happening, I can't explain what's happening, but I know that God is real, I know that I've been saved by grace, then we are going to be tempted to drop the, the, the shield and hightail it out of there. This is what the Bible says about faith. Many of you know this verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. There's going to be times the enemy's going to get in your ear and say, are you sure you believe this? Doesn't that sound ridiculous to you? Wait a minute. God wouldn't let you suffer like this. Are you sure you believe in this God? God's not going to let you go through this pain. Are you sure he's real? And that's when we need to put up our shield and say, I'm sure. I got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm standing firm onto the gospel. And you could throw as many arrows as you want at me because my faith is secure in him. So bring it on. The shield of faith. And then he says, two more. He says, I'm looking at that Roman soldier and they're always putting on that helmet. They're always putting on that helmet, that cool-looking helmet that kind of just seems so strong and covers those ears, you know. And that's like our salvation church. The helmet of salvation. One of the biggest lies the enemy likes to tell his believers is, I know what you did last week. I know what you did last year. I know who you are. I know what you did this morning. And if we don't have that salvation, that helmet of salvation on, and we're not assured in whose we are, then we could believe those lies. God does it to me all the time. God, con- I mean, God, <laughs> Satan does that to me all the time. The enemy will tell me all the time, Scott, I, how could you stand up there and teach everybody at church? Don't you remember the summer of 88? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> Ooh. Don't you remember 2000? Wasn't a good year for you, was it? And now you're going to stand up and teach people? Does that happen to you as well? That the enemy likes to remind you of your past? And we give them so much material to work with, don't we? Goodness gracious. It's not like he has to make up lies about us. It's not like the enemy's like, hey, Scott, man, remember all the time you did all that coke and you had all those hookers over? And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Wait, that didn't happen. And the enemy's like, ha, 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 ha. I almost got you on that one. 
He doesn't have to do that. He has enough material on our own. He says, how can you come to church and sing those songs and lift up those hands? I know what you do with those hands. How can you come to church and smile at people and welcome people? I know what you did this morning. If they know what you did this morning, they wouldn't be shaking your hand. That's what the enemy does. He likes to remind us of our past. He likes to shake our foundation. But if we have that helmet of salvation on that says, you can tell me anything about my past, it doesn't matter because I am sealed and delivered by the blood of Jesus and you can't take that away from me, enemy. You can't take that away. Look what the Bible says. John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep, listen to my voice. That's Jesus and we're the sheep. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, I mean no one, not the devil, not the demons, not anybody will snatch them out of my hand. We put on that helmet with an assurance that the enemy can say anything he wants about our past. All we have to say is, yeah, that was my past. You got me. But man, I got a future because of the blood of Jesus. I got a future. The helmet of salvation. And then we're going to get to the last one. The sword. The word of God. It's the only offensive weapon he gives us in this passage. Everything else is, is a part that we could put on so that we could stand firm in the gospel. We could be ready to do damage for the kingdom. But then he gives us an offensive weapon, and he says, I don't want you to forget. You see, I see these Roman soldiers, and man, those swords that they carry, they're intimidating. And church, I want you to understand that, that the word of God is like our sword. It's like our sword that we could wield and do damage. And so many times the church forgets about this one. But Jesus gave us an example of what it's like to yield the sword. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, you guys remember this story. Jesus went into the wilderness, and he was tired. He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and you can imagine he was just famished. And, and then who came along? The devil, Right? The devil likes to attack you in your weak points. And he found an opening with Jesus, and he said, I'm going to try to do this. And he goes up to Jesus, and what did Jesus do? You remember the story. I'll tell you what Jesus do. He took his sword, and he wielded it to make the devil run. He said three words, three words. And he gave us an example of how we, too, could yield our sword to make the devil flee. Three words. He said to the devil, it is written. He didn't try to philosophize with the devil. He didn't try to convince the devil of anything else. Anytime the devil came at Jesus, Jesus simply replied, it is written. And he quoted the book of Deuteronomy. He took his sword and he put it right in the devil's mouth and the devil ran. 
I love what E.V. Hill, one of my favorite preachers of all time, he says he hit the devil. He hit him with the word of God. Picture with me. Jesus tired. He's hungry. And the devil goes up to him and says, well, man, you're the son of God. Why don't you turn those rocks into bread so that you could eat? And what did Jesus do? He said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He hit him with the word of God. And if Jesus can do that, and Jesus showed us that he could do that, and he showed him what makes the devil flee, is the same thing that we could do today. We could take the word of God, which is our sword, and we could hit the enemy with it. And we could tell the enemy, it is written. I know you're going through some stuff this morning, but we could hit the enemy with this. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I, I don't even know if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'm saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hit him. Say, Pastor, I, I've done things, man, that I don't even know if God will forgive me. I got sin in my life that I don't even know. You know that's the enemy talking to you. You hit him. If, I could, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hit him. You don't understand. I have so much guilt in my life because of the way I've been living my life. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hit them. I'm sweating, man, so that means I'm preaching right now. You hit them. You hit them. You hit them. I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. I don't have enough to get me through the rest of this month. My God shall supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches. Hit him! I don't even know if I can make it through today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hit him! We use this like a butter knife sometimes. And this ain't no butter knife. This is the word of God. And Jesus used it to make the devil flee. And you could use it to make the devil flee as well. We just got to hit him. We got to push back hell. We got to stand as a church and say, you don't belong here. We're tired of your lies. We're tired of the things you're trying to get us to do. You're tired of what you're trying to get us to, to believe. But I am going to wield this sword, and I am going to hit you, devil, and you are going to flee. That's pushing back hell. That's right. You should be clapping. We're victorious. The battle is not against flesh and blood. You don't need to use this to thump your neighbor on the head. You don't need to use this to thump your spouse to the unbelieving world. You need to use this to slap the devil in the mouth 
and say, it is written. Flee. It's a dangerous weapon. But God gave it to us to use in the war that is going on in the heavenlies. And we could push back hell. So church, this morning, we are going to sing. We are going to sing with one voice. We are his church. This is our tribe right here on this corner in Clovis. And we are going to stand up and we're going to declare the greatness of God. And we're going to let the enemy know it is written. And we're going to sing a song that says we're sinking deep. And God, you're going to overcome us and overflow us. And it's all about you. It's not about me. And we're going to push back hell. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I want you to tune back into the sermon now. Check back in. I asked you to check out earlier. Check back in. I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to understand this morning there is nobody who loves you more and there is nobody who you can go through to get to heaven except for him. And it's just a matter of inviting him to come into your life. It's a matter of saying, God, I, I understand that you are truth. I understand that, that, that I can't be made right on my own and I need to be made right. And I want you to come into my life. I believe what Jesus did on the cross. And I want you to do that this morning. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to hesitate. I guarantee you, you walk out those doors and you see those cookies, you get distracted and all of a sudden the enemy won. I'm just saying them for real. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's time to, to make that enemy flee. Give your life to Christ. I plead with you. So in these moments as we sing, if that's the desire of your heart, I want you just to say that prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's what you're doing with your creator right now. You are inviting the creator of the universe to come and have a relationship with you. And the enemy doesn't want that. And for the rest of us, church, we are going to stand now and we're going to declare the goodness of our God. We are going to shout his praises because the enemy is going to flee at the name of Jesus. And we're going to stand up and we're going to say, we're going to hit you, devil, so you better get out of here right now because we're about to get down and we're about to worship God. Let's stand and sing together.